Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. Uh, He is with Wellings Capital. He's the general partner at Wellings Capital and also the author of a new book called The Perfect Investment, Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, creating Wellings Capital and why you thought it was necessary to do this book. Well, fantastic. Yeah, so I had uh, an engineering degree and an MBA, and then I uh, went to Ford Motor Company in Detroit for about five years. And I, a partner, a friend of mine and I became business partners on the side, and we launched into a full-time business. And uh, in that company, we, um, I was a finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year a couple times in Michigan, and we sold that to a publicly traded firm. And I, you know, going into semi-retirement at age 35 sounds exciting and like the American dream, but I was bored to death within a couple months. And so I started doing real estate investing. We started flipping homes. We did a subdivision, started flipping high-end waterfront lots when, uh, when you know, in the in real estate boom uh, about 14 years ago. And uh, what I realized was that... Um, that it was really foolish to just think I was the smartest guy in the world just because I was riding a wave. And when the market turned, um, I realized, you know, uh, this, this didn't work out so well. I had high, uh, I think it was nine, nine water, high-end waterfront lots that I owned and, uh, you know, made some money on those still, lost some money on other ones. But um, in 2010, there was... Um, uh, I was investing in oil and gas in North Dakota. And a friend of mine and I decided to, um, we, we every time we went to North Dakota, there were no places to stay. People were sleeping in their trucks, sleeping in their cars along the side of the road um, because of the oil boom there. So we decided to build a multifamily facility there in North Dakota. And we did that. We didn't know anything about, you know, the the specific details of multifamily, but we did it, and we were very successful. And it was one of those times again where we rode a wave, and we were there at the right time, right place, etc. After we sold that facility, I decided this is what I really, this is what I really wanted to do long term. And I realized how great of a risk it was to build uh, in a in a town a multifamily facility in a town of three thousand people. I mean, even though there were ten thousand people there working in the oil fields. Uh, dependent on an oil price that I couldn't control, um, and dependent on all kinds of regulations and other things that you know that I was not in control of either. And I decided that I didn't really want to do uh, development anymore. And so I decided to get into Class B, uh, basically buying existing multifamily properties, doing value-add upgrades. Uh, improving the management, et cetera. And I couldn't find a book out there that explained how to passively invest in that. And so um, I ended up starting to write free special reports for my website, and I realized I had enough of those. I thought, well, I might as well just make this into a book. And so I did that in that book, The Perfect Investment, has been out for a number of months now on Amazon. So your main website is wellingscapital.com, or is there a website specifically related to the book as well? Now, wellingscapital.com is the main uh, is the main website. Okay, um, so you you talk about your big why. What is your big why in doing all of this? Well, all three of the partners in Wellings Capital are in our fifties. We all have other successful businesses that are throwing off cash, and we all feel very strongly like we'd like to make a difference in the world. And so, Jordan, I don't know what you've heard about human trafficking, but I started hearing a little more about it the last several years, and I was horrified. I I thought, if I was uh, alive uh, in the 1830s or 40s, 50s, I want to believe I would have gotten involved fighting slavery. And if I would have been an adult in the 1960s, I want to believe that I would have gotten involved in the civil rights movement. Well, this is similar. The, the, the rights of these people who are trafficked are being stripped away from them. They're basically being enslaved. 
And, um, and what's being done to them is horrific. If you took the entire population of Virginia and Pennsylvania combined, about 21 million, that's how many people have been trafficked and are being trafficked right now. Uh, if you took the combined record profits, record year profits of Apple, Nike, Starbucks, and General Motors, the combined record profits doubled that. That's about the annual revenue of human trafficking in the world today, about $150 billion. And I, I have three daughters, I've got a son, and I, I just thought, what, what if that happened to my kids? I wouldn't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen to anybody's kids. So what we're doing is we are kind of like Tom's Shoes in the multifamily investing world. And for Tom's Shoes, most everybody knows this. If you buy a pair of their shoes, you don't have to share your shoes with a child in a third world country, obviously. And uh, you get your shoes, but Tom's Shoes takes money out of their corporate profits and they donate a pair of shoes to a child in a third world country. And this is an awesome thing. Well, what we're doing is for our investors who invest with us, they get 100% of the return on investment that they would normally get. They don't have to donate to this, but we take money out of our corporate profits and we donate heavily to fight human trafficking to rescue its victims, and we invite our investors to help us decide exactly where that money goes. So is there that's a specific organization that you tend to support with this money? Yeah, I really like one uh, in Missouri called harvesthome.org. The website's harvesthome.org, and they are rescuing a lot of children and women out of human trafficking. They're doing an amazing job. And then there's another one called Exodus Cry. Exodus Cry um, is also, they're, pu- they're putting out films, they're educating the public, and they've made an amazing documentary called Nefarious that is available um, to uh, basically explore this horror uh, called human trafficking. So tell us about your investment a little bit. What investment options do you offer to people and what kind of returns do you offer to people who invest with you? Well, we are buying class B, uh, which means 20, 30, 40 year old in many cases, uh, commercial properties, commercial multifamily properties. So we're buying apartment buildings, say 100, 200, 300 units. And we are making some significant changes to those, either upgrading the interiors, the exteriors, both uh, changing management, improving marketing. And we are uh, providing an increased return on investment for ourselves and, and our investors. And uh, investors who invest with us, there are obviously no set returns. It's not, like a, it's not like debt where there's a set interest rate. But a lot of people who invest in commercial multifamily experience returns in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% cash on cash every year. And then a total return, counting principal pay down and appreciation on equity, uh, a total return of, uh, say, 14 to 20% annually, which is pretty healthy considering how risk-averse multifamily investing really is. So is this, they're getting current cash flow from rents, or they have to wait for the buildings to be sold to realize their gains? That's a great question. Yeah, they're getting current cash flow from the generated from operations. And typically, multifamily syndicators like us pay out on a quarterly basis based on the uh, profits uh, in the last quarter. And so what is the minimum investment? Do you have to be an accredited investor to get into this? Yeah, we work with accredited investors. And uh, the minimum investment for a lot of syndicators, including us, is $50,000. And so what would be the current uh, cash on cash? We said 5 to 8%. That's based on the rents. Is that right? So if they invest, say, 100000 they'll get five to 8000 a year paid quarterly. I mean, that's the total amount for the year paid quarterly. Is that uh, just to get expectations right? Well, there's absolutely no guarantees that there will be any payout. But if, if it, it follows what has been happening in the last eight or so years in the business, a typical syndication deal would – pay out something like 5 to uh, 10% annually and there those payments are made, you know, four times a year on, on a quarterly basis and that's so that's that's typically what a lot of uh, syndicators provide and and that's what a lot of investors expect and receive. And what would be the hold time for somebody investing now is it 5 years or how long should they expect to hold? 
Well, it completely depends on the specific deal and also on the economy, interest rates, cap rates, which is the uh, uh, the return on capital, um, uh, rate of return on capital, on unleveraged capital. But there's a lot of different variables. Some some people would buy a, a, an unstabilized property, and that would be a property that has, let's say, a very low occupancy, and it needs to be turned around. Well, they might improve it dramatically over, say, one to two years, and then at the end of the third year, maybe they would either refinance or they would sell that property for a a large gain. That's a lot riskier than what we usually do, but a lot of people are having a lot of success with that. At the other extreme, there are uh, syndicators uh, who actually hold these properties indefinitely. We try to aim for about a five to seven year hold. We think that is... Uh, when a lot of the tax benefits from depreciation run out in about that time. And so that's about what we're targeting. But, you know, again, there's no guarantee on that either. So are you syndicating a fund that has several properties in it, or are you syndicating a specific property? That's a great question. We we may move toward a model where we actually do a fund, uh, but at, at this time we're syndicating individual properties. So the investor will know before he invests, what property it is that he's investing in his location and the financials and all that. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. We will, we will give them a very, very large packet of information explaining where we invest, why we're investing here, what the expected returns are, and uh, the investors would have a chance to review that. And maybe they, you know, some of the time they'll pass on it and they'll say, I'll wait for a different location. So they're not expecting any liquidity for maybe five to seven years as far as getting their original principal back. Is that correct? I think that's I think that's fair to say, although there are some cases where we might do a supplemental loan, which would be like a second loan, and that would allow us to safely cash out some of the equity in a property and, re, uh, and, and distribute that to the investors. And that's a pretty common strategy, especially in these days when values are appreciating at such a high rate the last seven years in this business. And um, what website or where should people go to find out more about the specific offerings, uh, you know, these kind of multifamily partnerships? Well, they can visit our website, which is wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, capital.com. And we don't put specific offerings on there. We only offer those to our uh, accredited, approved, accredited investors because we really want a relationship with our investors. Jordan, we we want to um, be in a place where we understand their goals we understand what they really want, and they understand our goals and what we really want, and we want to make sure there's a fit. So we like to get to know every investor before we approve them, and we show them any deals like that at all. And so an accredited investor is one who has at least a million dollars in net worth separate from the value of their primary residence, or 200000 in annual income for an individual, 300000 for a couple. Correct? Those are the things you're looking for? Yeah, that's that's what uh, that's an accredited investor in in a broad brush. Yes, very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. He is general partner at Wellings Capital, based in Roanoke, Virginia, and also the author of a book we're going to speak about in our next segment called "The Perfect Investment: Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to Multifamily Housing." We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. Uh, He is the general partner at Wellings Capital uh, based in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, and also the author of a book called The Perfect Investment, which is about multifamily housing. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Thanks. So let's start with the general demographics. Why is multifamily housing uh, well-positioned now? I mean, people have been hearing that baby boomers, well, more millennials, I guess, um, have not been uh, owning homes. They've been renting for a long time, but now they're wanting to buy and they're starting to move into homes. That's why you're seeing bidding wars and uh, people wanting to buy a lot more homes in the, in the past. Why is multifamily housing uh, still, you think, in the sweet spot? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but the, some of the major reasons are, number one, the government tampered with uh, the home ownership. About 1995, there were some laws passed that made it very, very easy for anyone who had a pulse to purchase a home. I had a friend who was making about $40,000, $45,000 a year. He owned a home. And he went and applied for a mortgage for a second home, which was a, a McMansion at $600,000. It was a, in an old, uh, kind of an old uh, textile town. And um, he was able to get this, uh, this mortgage on this. And of course, he didn't make payments for very long and uh, lost the home back to the bank. But the home ownership rate went up from a historic low 60s, 60, 63%, let's say, up to 69.2% by 2005. And when the economy turned uh, and banks, of course, and, and regulators changed the rules back, uh, since then, home ownership has plummeted across the U.S. Uh, to about 63% again, which is uh, probably about where it should be. Well, this caused a significant increase in renters. And so even though baby boomers are the smallest group of renters of the major groups uh, in demographically, they are the fastest growing group of renters. One reason is uh, during the, the recession, a lot of people lost their homes and they had to go rent. So multifamily investing in that way is self-buffering or it's uh, it basically has a buffering feature which buffers against a bad economy. Um, in addition to that, uh, baby boomers are realizing their, you know, their home wasn't the greatest investment in the world. They're realizing that it could go down and they're more interested in renting than buying in some cases. I mean, still, most of them buy, of course, but there are more and more baby boomers renting. And there are 77 million baby boomers in the world right now. And they were the largest group demographically until the millennials came along. Now, the millennials are pushing 80 million strong. And millennials typically these days have very, very heavy student debt loads, uh, loads, uh, so they can't qualify for a loan under the new regulations. Uh, another issue is they don't feel like they it, that it makes sense for them to be tied down to a 30-year contract on an asset uh, that maybe wasn't such a great investment for their parents or other people they saw lose their homes. And they want the flexibility of moving across town or across the country for a new job, new friends, new opportunities next year. So they see renting as you know perfectly fine. Uh, and so millennials, uh, by and large, are uh, renting more than owning. And then a third issue is the um, immigration. 
immigrants, uh, regardless of what's happening in D.C. right now, are making up a larger and larger percentage of our population every year. And immigrants, either by choice or by necessity, by and large, rent their homes, especially the first uh, number of years when they're here. And so uh, that is another issue that is driving up rental versus ownership in the U.S. And so the combined total of this uh, means a very high demand, high demand for rentals. And what happened during the recession, Jordan, is it was hard for people to um, build. People weren't building new homes, but they also weren't building new apartments. So what happened is that the as the recession wound down, there were not a lot of new. There was not a lot of new supply of multifamily. Uh, in the U.S. And so the supply and demand was out of balance, which is, you know, that's going to change. It's not going to be that way forever. But it has driven uh, rents up and it's driven uh, appreciation on apartments to record levels. So is that continued now that there is more demand for rentals? Are there, is there more building uh, in the pipeline? Yeah, there's a lot being built. And if you're in places like Dallas, Charlotte, San Antonio, Greenville, South Carolina, a lot of the markets that we like, there are uh, Raleigh-Durham, there are a lot of apartments being built, uh, yet they're, they're not sitting empty very long at all. They're, uh, statistically, apartments are still filling up and rents are still rising. So is it not true that on the margin, some millennials who have been renting for a few years are now wanting to buy? And, and that's why you're seeing kind of multiple bids on a lot of homes. There seems to be a shortage of homes to buy as well as the places to rent? You know, every market, real estate's always market specific. And I don't know where you are, Jordan, but um, uh, that's it's it's true in some markets and it's not as true in others. But I think that there are, uh, there are more people wanting to own right now. However, the, the vast majority, the statistically, and what that's caused is that the home ownership rate has leveled off at 63% for the last two years, where it was dropping a percent of a, a, a year from 2005 to 2015. What so, has been the yeah, impact of the uh, Dodd-Frank financial uh, regulations came in by 2010? Has that made it harder for people to qualify for mortgages and their need to rent more, more often? You know, I, be, I believe that more more importantly than just that, the regulation shifting to uh, needing a down payment has been um, a surprising development for a lot of people. I mean, the guy I mentioned earlier who bought the $600,000 home, he didn't need to bring any down payment to closing. Well, that's changed. And uh, now that people are uh, needing to bring uh, down payments, needing to get back to more of a normal reality. Well, a lot of them don't have down payments, especially with this uh, debt. So I think that's been one of the big reasons that homeownership has not risen um, over the last several years. So in the beginning of your book, you talk about tired of swinging for the fences. So this is kind of a more general view on investments. Do you think people who are investing in the stock market, which have been doing so well, are swinging for the fences and should put more money in something more stable like multifamily housing? You know, Jordan, I can only talk for me. And I can tell you that over the years as a serial entrepreneur, I was swinging for the fences um, time after time. And sometimes I hit a home run, sometimes I struck out. Uh, I started that uh, multifamily facility in North Dakota, and it went very, very well, made a lot of money. It, it was just, you know, a home run. But right after that, I started a tech company in North Dakota. We noticed that there was a need for wireless internet in North Dakota, and that has not gone well at all. It's still holding on. But that was more of a, you know, 10 times your money type play, and it didn't work. And I... Personally, as I got into my 50s, I realized I wanted a lot more safety, a lot more security. If something happens to me, I want to know my family will be taken care of. And, you know, if you keep playing double or nothing, as a lot of entrepreneurs do, if you keep rolling the dice, playing double or nothing, you may end up with nothing. And then what will you have left to invest? So that's my current philosophy on investing for me. So you also talk about enduring wealth is no accident. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, if you look at the Forbes 400 list, a whole lot of them made their money in tech, but a lot of them made all their money in commercial real estate as well. And it is very difficult to get into large-scale commercial real estate. That's another reason I wrote the book, to allow 
passive investors or even um, active investors to learn a roadmap to get into multifamily investing. But what I meant by that was um, that the the laws are shaped uh, to allow, the tax laws are very, very favorable toward commercial and specifically multifamily investing. And the um, the ability for people with a lot of money to make a lot of money is uh, pretty amazing. And there, there's they, people with wealth have a lot of opportunities that the average everyday citizen doesn't have. And, you know, being a multifamily syndicator is one of those opportunities. And that's why it's a joy for a lot of us syndicators to allow uh, people with 50 or $100,000 to get in on that. One of the things you say that's new in this area is crowdfunding, uh, which is allowing kind of small investors, not accredited investors, to play this game. What are the pros and cons of investing in multifamily through crowdfunding? You know, it's interesting. Um, there are most of the most, if not all, of the crowdfunding uh, companies I'm aware of, uh, like uh, Realty Evest. Realty Mogul, Realty Shares, they only work with uh, accredited investors. Now, the laws that were changed in 2012 then clarified in 2000, I, be, I believe it was 15 or 16, uh, those do allow for non-accredited investors, but they make it so, so difficult that as far as I know, every crowdfunding site that I'm aware of only works with accredited investors. Uh, I think one of the benefits, to answer your question, is that these um, companies uh, do a great job uh, screening the syndicators. They do a great job screening the deals. And when a, an investor has the opportunity to look at those, they're already pre-screened really well. And um, so that's one of the great benefits of working with a company like that. You can look at their track record. You can look at the syndicator's track record. It's just an extra level of protection. And a lot of the crowdfunding sites also have a lower minimum investment. I I think I've heard some have uh, investment size of 20,000 or more. So it's, it's, it's another alternative instead of going to a syndicator like you is to go through crowdfunding, you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. He's the general partner at Wellings Capital based in Roanoke, Virginia. He's also the author of a book about multifamily housing called The Perfect Investment. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. He's the general partner at Wellings Capital based in Roanoke, Virginia. 
Uh, their website is wellingscapital.com. He's also the author of a book called The Perfect Investment, which is about multifamily housing. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Thanks. We're getting into a little bit, but tell us really why is multifamily housing, in your mind, the perfect investment? Well, Jordan, there is a ratio that's not widely known. It's called the SHARP ratio, and that's spelled S-H-A-R-P-E. And the SHARP ratio measures the return on investment as compared to the standard deviation of the return, which, in other words, it, it compares the return to the risk. And if you had something that was very, very high return, but also very, very high risk, well, that would be in balance with something else like a, a CD that might have very, very low returns and very low risk. In other words, uh, it, it, you, you can't just say that taking a lot of risk leads to a lot of return. What it does is it leads to either a very high return or potentially very low or no return. And so the Sharpe ratio measures this uh, volatility versus return over many years. And multifamily housing has had the highest Sharpe ratio, which means the highest return versus risk of a whole lot of asset classes that have been measured. They've measured it with the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, private equity, uh, other commercial classes like industrial, uh, office, um, um, retail, and multifamily housing has quite a bit higher sharp ratio than any of those. In fact, it's the highest of any class I know. They've never measured storage units, and I'd be interested in knowing what those came out to be. I think they'd be similar to multifamily, but uh, that's why I think it is the perfect investment for that reason alone. You know, a financial planner once told me, if you can find an investment that goes up in good economies and continues to go up and a bad economy, you've got the perfect investment. And multifamily housing actually, for the most part, did that uh, through the recession and has continued to do that through the boom now. I mean, some would argue that you're buying at a peak now that prices are going up so much, and as you say, rental prices are going up, and this is not undiscovered by investors. Uh, so some would say you're, you're getting in too late in the game. What would you say to that? I'd say that's very true in many, many cases. Uh, there are markets like San Francisco who has already shown a downturn in real estate prices. Uh, I've heard that there are more for sale signs than there have been for a couple of years in Brooklyn right now. Uh, I believe that it is very possible to overpay right now. In fact, we have walked away from dozens, and we have friends who are in this business who have walked away from a total of hundreds of deals in the last two years because of that exact reason. We're very, very selective on our market, our sub-market, and the asset we purchase, but we're very, very selective as well on not overpaying for that property, and a lot of people are doing that right now. And there's some reasons for that I could go into if you'd like. Yeah, so if you're an investor thinking of buying a multifamily property, what are some of the, the signs you want to look for that it's a good deal? And what are the signs you want to look for that you're, it's overpriced and you shouldn't go there? Well, no matter how perfect of a deal it is, if it's in a location that people are leaving, then it's not a good deal in my mind. And so if you're in one of those cities in America that people are generally migrating away from, to me, that's the biggest red flag that you're in a bad market. We have 24 markers that we look for for a great market, and those include net population migration being positive, unemployment decreasing and lower than national average, a diverse economy. Uh, we like to see income growth uh, a little bit. doesn't have to be huge. We like to see job growth. We like to see um, a balance of uh, the cost of renting uh, apartments versus purchasing a home. And uh, so we look at these 24 items, and if they don't pass, if the asset doesn't pass that test, in other words, it doesn't pass the MSA test, the market test, uh, we will not even look at it any further. Then we also want to be in a good submarket where crime is lower than the city average where incomes are about right. It's kind of a Goldilocks income. You don't want too, too high or you don't want too low. You want to make sure that the renters in that area can afford the apartments. And then 
We also really look closely at the property managers in that market. We want to get a professional property manager to operate the asset. And uh, we are very, very big on making sure that any market we go into has at least two first-class professional operators in case something goes wrong with one of them. We want to have another option. And that's one of the reasons we go into large cities. Um, We want cities with at least, uh, let's say, about half a million people because we want to make sure there's a professional property manager and that when we're going to sell, there are multiple potential buyers for that asset. So what would be, say, your top five markets around the U.S. uh, that meet your criteria as far as population moving in, all the things you just talked about? Just give us some examples of places you think are attractive, just the general market, not the specific properties. Sure. I really like Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, We really like Charlotte, North Carolina. We like Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. A little smaller town, we like Greenville, South Carolina. And we also like San Antonio, Texas. And then there's a, there's a whole lot more. But the problem, Jordan, is a whole lot of other investors see those statistics and they like those same markets. So it's a really tough time to buy. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? You just bid higher or what do you do to beat the competition of buying these things? Well, one thing we do is a whole lot of research, and we try to get involved knowing the property manager, I mean, knowing the specific uh property manager on site, getting to know the maintenance staff, getting to know the backstory, maybe even talking to the previous owner, trying to find out things that we would give us an advantage. For example, we found out that one apartment complex uh, that you could take out the half bath and turn it into a, a little small washer and dryer room and actually raise the rents by $110. But they hadn't publicized that. That wasn't really widely spoken about. Well, that was a huge advantage to us to know that. Another uh, apartment in Raleigh-Durham we looked at, we found out that it was mostly one bedrooms and there was a demand for more two bedrooms in that area. Well, we realized that they all had, every single one had a screened-in porch. We could, for about five or $7,000, turn that screened-in porch to another bedroom. And so finding out inside stories like that's really helpful. Another thing to do is finding off-market deals, which everybody is well aware that that's hard to do, but it really can help. What we're this, not willing to do is overpay. Is this something the average person can do or they really need a professional like you uh, to be able to do this, particularly not in their local market where they live? You know, I, th- I think it, it takes – years of study and training and experience, partnering with the right people, getting the right mentor. I don't think anybody off the street uh, that happened to have a $10 million inheritance should go and do this on their own. Um, I think that uh, they'd be smarter to partner with somebody else, give up some of the equity, uh, but be willing to learn it from somebody who does that. And there are a lot of syndicators out there who partner on deals with people. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think you had Joe Fairless on your show before. Yes, mm-hmm. Joe does a great job partnering with people and, uh, teaching them the ropes. You have a chapter called toilets, tenants, and trash. The, the, the big three T I guess you might say of being a landlord. Is that mm-hmm. something that should scare people off being in multifamily because of all the complications involved there? Well, in that chapter, I talked about what it was like to own flip homes and then single family rentals and, you know, getting those calls in the middle of the night for a toilet that's clogged up or all the problems with when they vacate, all the trash left in uh, in one uh, apartment, actually, that a, a small apartment that I rented out once. And I realized that that's actually what led me to being absolutely committed to using a professional property manager. Another problem is I am a nice guy and I actually don't like, um, even though even though it's nice to know all of our tenants personally, um, I had one call me today. I, have, uh, I only have one single family rental that I own and that tenant calls me probably about every week or texts me asking for money, asking for a car repair money, asking for money for food and telling me why they can't pay their rent. Now, they don't do that every single call, but it's often something like that. 
And I'm kind of a nice guy. So I really like having a professional property manager between me and the tenant. And that's what that chapter is about. It's really talking about why a lot of people who amass a single family home portfolio of 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 homes eventually sell all those, unfortunately at a discount sometimes, and then they go out and get into multifamily. How much should one pay for a good property manager? Well, if it's a smaller asset, say between five and 75 units, a typical fee would be in the seven to nine or even 10% range of rents collected, but they do a lot for that. Uh, you know, they put the tenant in, they do the screening, they do the evictions, they do the management. Uh, however, we like commercial grade multifamily, which is typically above 80 or so units, which means we have an on-site staff and uh, the on-site maintenance person, leasing agent and property manager, and then their team, if it's larger, um, we pay them, we pay for the cost of that staff and then we pay the property management firm that, that, that manages them uh, about three to three and a half percent. So there's efficiencies the of scale. You're saying for a bigger place with more than 80 units, there's efficiencies of scale that work out well for the investor. Absolutely. That's right, Jordan. Uh, for example, a property manager from a hun- for a hundred unit complex might make in, in some markets about $40,000. But if you had a 200 unit complex, down the road, that same property manager wouldn't make double. They wouldn't make $80,000. So there's economies of scale for sure. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. He's the general partner at Wellings Capital, which specializes in multifamily housing. You can find out more about him at his website, wellingscapital.com. And you can also find out about his book, which is called The Perfect Investment, Create Enduring Wealth from the Historic Shift to multifamily housing. We'll be back after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Paul Moore. He's the general partner at Wellings Capital based in Roanoke, Virginia, a specialist in multifamily housing, and he's also got a book out called The Perfect Investment. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Hey, thank you. So you talk about making millions through market selection. Why is it possible to make that much through selecting the right market? Well, I know of a guy in Denver, Colorado, who just happened to buy a multifamily property. I think it might have been around 2010. And through very little effort on his own, 
he was able to ride a very, very fast growing mar- uh, market uh, to uh, amazing heights. And so he was able to, I would say, double or possibly triple his investors' uh, equity in uh, just a handful of years because he was in the right market. And a lot of people in Dallas and other and places like Charlotte are having similar stories. So the importance of market selection, which I talked about earlier, just cannot be overstated. I, I personally believe that two-thirds of the success in any multifamily uh, investment come from the combination of market selection and hiring the right property management firm. Now, you talk about Class A versus Class B. A are the kind of high-end, more luxury kind of properties, but you think there's more potential for investors in the Class B but as, as opposed to Class C, which is kind of lower-income uh, kind of properties. Why is Class B the sweet spot for you? So class A, uh, they're demanding a premium. And in some cases, if they're brand new, uh, they're going to be the first in a recession to uh, vacate. I mean, you know, some of these apartments that are renting in markets that I'm familiar with where rents are typically 700 to 1000 a month, you know, some of those class A apartments are renting for $1,600, $1,800 a month. Well, in a downturn, uh, they're not going to be necessarily renting for that much. So that, there's a there's a little risk on that side for Class A. Class C typically don't have the appreciation uh, that a uh, that other uh, assets would have. So Class C might be in a place. For example, I have a friend who bought an apartment in Memphis recently. Well, his uh, apartment's not his projections are not showing a whole lot of appreciation. Uh, not a lot of population moving into the air. There's only a 0.1% increase in population annually in Memphis last time I checked. And so he's not getting the appreciation. Uh, but he is getting great cash flow, by the way. And the Class A is not getting as great a cash flow. Now, Class B has a nice combination of cash flow and appreciation if done right. And that's why I like Class B. I feel like it's a safe market. It's a you know set rock solid blue collar type um, uh, asset where people are going to be living in good times and bad. What are some of the tax benefits for somebody investing in one of these properties as far as depreciation? Are there other tax benefits? Uh, you're going to put a lot of money into renovations, for example. Is that tax deductible? Talk a little bit about the tax benefits for investors here. Well, Jordan, like a friend of mine said, if the American people knew how little we are taxed as commercial multifamily owners, if they knew how little we are taxed, we would have another tax revolt on our hands. It, it really is amazing. Um, the uh, A lot of multifamily investors who are fractional owners of properties pay little or no tax for the first six, seven, or even eight years. And one of the reasons is something called um, accelerated depreciation. Using a cost segregation study, uh, commercial property owners can uh, do a study. And, and, you know, a lot of property is, um, a lot of assets are depreciated on a straight line basis, 27 and a half years or maybe 38 years. If you depreciate your property that way, that's fine, but you won't get the acceleration. Think about it. Landscaping, uh, paving. Uh, lighting, cabinets, appliances, countertops, carpet, paint, a lot of those things are actually reaching the end of their life in a much shorter time span. And the tax code allows you to accelerate those and depreciate those much more quickly. So if you can put, say, 25, 30% of an asset on an accelerated schedule and depreciate that over, say, five or seven, three, five or seven years instead of, say, 38, you're going to be able to accelerate that depreciation and you're going to be able to show a loss on the K-1 of the investor, even though they're getting an actual cash return. And this is all legit. It's all approved by the government and it's really amazing. So that's one of the great tax benefits of commercial Is that, by the way, threatened? I mean, they're talking about major tax reform in Congress where they would lower tax rates but get rid of all kinds of deductions and credits. Is that accelerated depreciation potentially threatened? Jordan, I really don't know the answer to that. I, I have not heard that it was. So people should count on it going forward, you'll say. So, so that means that the income you're getting from rents long before the building is sold for the next five years or so uh, is considered 
return of capital or it's income sheltered by the depreciation? How does it work tax-wise? Well, sometimes it can be considered return of capital, which is lowering the investor's basis, by the way, and that'll have a consequence in the future. But um, no, the actual uh, investor is getting a cash return. And like I mentioned earlier, it might be along the lines of five, six, seven percent annually, but they're actually having a getting a negative number on their K1. So they're actually uh, not paying taxes and they're actually, you know, potentially uh, building up a reserve for the future because that's carried forward. Yeah. It's a loss they can use against other income unrelated to real estate against their salary or something. Is that right? It generally has to be against passive income unless they're an active real estate professional, which means that they're already involved in real estate as a profession elsewhere. And then in some cases, it can be uh, taken against their regular income. So say they're a real estate agent and they're involved in real estate, not in owning it, but in selling it. That's considered a real estate professional. They could use the losses from this to offset their salary from commissions as a real estate agent. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a great question. I should have an answer for that. I know that they should have, uh, I think, 700 or more hours per year in the real estate profession. But what I'm not sure of, Jordan, is if a real estate agent would count toward this deduction. That's something that everybody would have to ask their tax professional. Okay. And then when the buildings are ultimately sold, uh, instead of selling them, they could be exchanged for 1031 exchange. Would that just kind of delay the capital gains tax even more? Is that something you would plan to do? Yes, we would plan to do that. No guarantees, of course, but we would try to get our investors uh, an opportunity to exchange out of one asset into another one. And guess what? Start the depreciation clock all over again. And then also one can put these into IRAs as a a self-directed IRA. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. You can invest through an IRA, and there are a lot of great self-directed IRA companies that uh, manage that for investors. Well, very good. We have about a minute to go. Just kind of briefly summarize why somebody should do multifamily housing in this world after what we've just talked about. Well, you know, Jordan, for me uh, and a lot of people I know, uh, we we realized in our 50s that there were there's a difference between investing and speculating. Investing is when you have uh, a, a a relatively guaranteed protection of your principal and you have a chance to make a return. That's investing. But speculating is when you have no guarantee, you have no safety of principal, and you have a chance to make a return. And I have found for me and for a lot of my friends, we are sick and tired of speculating. There is a place for it, and it's okay as long as you know you're speculating. But I would much rather at my age and at my place in life, I'd rather much rather be an investor. And so multifamily investing has given me that opportunity to be an investor in something safe, stable, evergreen. Everybody needs a place to live. And uh, that's why I love multifamily investing. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Paul Moore. He's a general partner at Wellings Capital based in Roanoke, Virginia. Their website, wellingscapital.com. And he's also the author of the book about multifamily housing called The Perfect Investment. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Paul. Thank you. It was great to be here, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.